You are listening to the Enormo Cast. If you dig the Enormo Cast, if you like what you hear, if the Enormo Cast inspires you, makes you cry, makes you laugh, makes you want to punch someone in the eye, then do me a favor. Head over to EnormoCast.com and click on the Help Out tab and see what you can do to push the Enormo Cast to such great heights that it will tower over all other podcasts, like three L caps stacked on top of one another. Once again, take a moment and head over to normacast.com, click on the Help Out tab, and follow the instructions. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing it at? Are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big house. place. That's, out. That's a big nice. place. You sold it out. I'll say. We really should. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed time with you. We'll make it. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Good weather. Bad weather. Now or later, anytime. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment. With support from Maxim Ropes. And Defiant Bean is now Bonfire Coffee. How did that happen? Don't worry about it. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and entry Normo at checkout for a discount. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Norma Cast. This is your host, Chris Caloose. It is September 2nd, about 8.30 Mountain Standard Time. And this is episode number 64, a conversation with Bill Ramsey and Dan Mursky couple very interesting climbers, one old, one young, finding common ground. A lot of themes covered in this one. We'll get into it in just a second. Um, yeah, it's, I'm running a little bit late. The transmission on my vehicle took me two days to fix instead of a half day to fix this weekend, so I did not spend any time on the Normacast. Uh, but here I am on the second. We'll have it out just as soon as I can get it posted. Yeah, you know how it goes. Sometimes life intervenes. What's going on this month? I'm actually uh, headed out to the New River Gorge this month for the American Alpine Club's Craig and Classic. Going to do some MC work, going to do a live show, going to get some interviews, all that sort of thing. That's coming up on the uh, 19th through the 21st. Go to uh, craigandclassic.com or Google it. The Google will show you the way. There's clinics, there's people presenting, there's climbing, there's partying, I'm sure. These events do not go down without a little booze being consumed. So um, that's what's coming up. I would also like to send my regards to two festivals that I was invited to, but I cannot make it to. Um, I blew them off, but um, that's just the way it goes. I apologize. They're actually the same weekend, so I wouldn't have been able to go to both anyway. But instead, I'm going to go to my cousin's wedding and also help my dad paint his house so he does not fall to his death. Okay? He's 69, and I'm going to go and paint all the high parts so he does not try to do it himself and fall off. Anyway, where was I? Oh yeah, Forks Fest is one festival that's happening the weekend of September 27th down in Flagstaff, Arizona in Paradise Forks. And this is put on by a group called the Narbarians, which is awesome. The Narbarians are just a uh, collective, I guess, out of Flagstaff, sort of holding the community together down there. And I appreciate the invite. Can't make it, but I do want to give a shout out for that. Um, that's on the Facebook page for the Narbarians. That's G-N-A-R Barian. I'll also put a poster up on my Facebook page. So if you're in that area, check that out. Those guys seem like a lot of fun. And I will certainly try to make it to that one next year. The other one is the Idaho Mountain Festival. Ben up there has invited me several times for the last couple of years, and I just haven't been able to make it up there. But uh, I do want to give a shout-out for that. That's also on the weekend of the 27th. And there you can go to IdahoMountainFest.com to find out what's going on there. And that also has clinics and guests and presentations. So that's up in uh, City Rock. So go check that one out if you're up in that area. And I want to thank the folks who have donated over the last couple of years. Um, that's going to make the trip out to West Virginia not come entirely out of my pocket, which is awesome, and I appreciate that. You know, I made a little joke last time about betting with your uh, donations, which was a joke because actually I haven't even paid the guy I lost the twenty dollars to yet. 
Sean, if you're listening, I'll get it to you. Don't sweat it. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that was just a joke. I'm good for it, bro. I'm good for it. Curse you, Daniel Woods. Okay, on today's show is a interview with two folks, Bill Ramsey and Dan Mursky. I've been wanting to have Bill on the show for quite some time, as I mentioned in the beginning of the show. And uh, he's just a really well-spoken, very thoughtful person, has been climbing hard for a really long time, a lot of different areas, a developer, um, as you'll find out, a mentor, a teacher, and a very, very interesting guy who I was pleased to sit down with. And Dan Mursky is a friend from here in Carbondale, and his story dovetails with Bill's about 10 years ago. They met up when Dan was about 20 and Bill was 45, and they created this relationship that benefited both of them in these kind of odd ways. But it's a good, wide-ranging, hardcore climbing conversation, just like what the Enormacast is good for. We touch on all sorts of themes about climbing hard, about mentorship, about camaraderie, about climbing as you get older, and really just about why we climb in general. So I think you guys are going to enjoy this one. A lot of wisdom here from these two guys and a lot to learn. Before we get to the show, I want to remind you guys that Black Diamond Equipment is one of the main sponsors of the Enormacast. And like the Enormacast, Black Diamond knows that the surefire way to keep climbers happy is to give them free shit, which is why they are now sponsoring the Mountain Project iPhone and Android app, something you formerly had to pay for, is now free thanks to Black Diamond. Download this app, download the cliff you're headed to, and you will have all the information you need at your fingertips. And there you have it. The Mountain Project app for iPhone and Android. Used to cost money, now it's free. Yeah, that echo's kind of funky. Okay, so I am sitting in the mobile studio, which is actually locked tight in the driveway. I call it the move mobile studio because it does move occasionally, and it can move. It's it's currently running. So, But uh, I've asked a couple guys to come in here. Dan Mursky is actually a guy who lives here occasionally in Carbondale and kind of grew up as a climber in the valley to a certain extent. And uh, Bill Ramsey is a visiting climber from uh, Las Vegas currently, so... Yeah, welcome, guys. Uh, Bill, how's it going? Good. Thanks for having us. It's fun to be here. Yeah, great to be here. I've actually kind of was stalking Bill for a little while um, <laughs> since he was he was actually here in town for a, a wedding, a now legendary wedding, uh, Jen and Andrew Bisharat's wedding, yeah, which was... brought an incredible amount of talent into town, uh, amount of climbing talent, other other types of talent too, actually. <laughs> But uh, I asked Bill to, to come on or uh, if he would do it uh, like a year ago, and finally he's back in town uh, living in Rifle this summer and uh, climbing in Rifle but living in the town of Rifle, which, which we'll get into in just a second. Bill and, and Dan have a relationship, which we'll get into in just a little, little bit, is that Bill was one of these guys that helped Dan usher in an era for himself of, of kind of hard climbing. And, and we're going to talk about a year, about 10 years ago in 2005, where those guys sort of... Um, if you will, kind of cross streams and uh, <laughs> <laughs> created this. I hope not. What, what actually has yeah. been noted as a, a somewhat paternal uh, sort of relationship between the two of them. But uh, before we get into that, Bill, will you tell me about the day you moved in to Rifle? Oh, yeah. Uh, so I had been trying to find a decent place in the Roaring Fork Valley for the summer because I knew I wanted to spend a summer out here. And uh, it's almost impossible to find a month-to-month three-month lease in Glenwood or uh, Carbondale, any place I was used to living. And all I could find was a place in Rifle, and the real estate agent said, well, um, let's go take a look at it. You may have second thoughts. And basically, it was in a kind of ghetto place of Rifle, and I thought, well, whatever. You know, I'm only going to be here for three months. It doesn't really matter. So I uh, moved my stuff in, and basically I saw these kids 
my neighbors and they look like Jesse's friends from Breaking Bad. I don't know if you've seen that series, <laughs> but that's basically – so anyway, I took off and I wound up hanging out with some friends in the canyon that night, Heather and Chris Widener, and uh, spent the night up in the canyon and came back and my place had been broken into. And the But the only thing they took um, was the alcohol that I had uh, in the refrigerator and on the counter, which had been my mistake to leave it out there. And the my alcohol – to take it, they put it in a bag pack that I had, and I really don't care about the alcohol, but the bag that they took had all my knee pads in it. Oh, and man. And as anybody who climbs at Rifle knows, that is the most essential piece of equipment in Rifle. More important than ropes, more important than quick draws, more important than your harness. It's your knee pads. <laughs> and so I was in trouble, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I forgot about the knee pad part of yeah. that. Yeah. That was sort of the most devastating part. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's been an interesting summer. The kids have kind of calmed down a little bit after I threatened them. And uh, it's actually not been so bad. But in the future, I think I would aim for Glenwood or Newcastle at least. Kind of move up Valley. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, I did invite you to live in my house. I well. know, but the thing is you're what? Hour and a half? Hour, hour away? Hour. hour. Yeah. yeah. I mean, your place is beautiful. Don't get me wrong. It's nice. But if you're moving to a location to climb, you want to be kind of close to the climbing. That's fair. Yeah. That's I lived totally in Rifle fair. once, too. Yeah. <laughs> you, oh, I remember. Yes, exactly. 2005. Yeah, we met that summer. Yep. Yep, indeed. That place was kind of like my place now. Oh, that, was, that was a special house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to get some into sense that. of special. So, um, Bill, you're a philosophy professor. That's correct. And uh, you teach at UNLV. Right. Is that right? Exactly. In Las Vegas. That's right. Which is actually one of the great meccas of uh, sport climbing. It um, is. In the it United is. States. I taught for a number of years at Notre Dame, about 18 years. Um, loved Notre Dame, but I hated the Midwest. I loved climbing at the Red, but it was a seven-hour drive. So when I got an opportunity to live in a place where there was climbing 20 minutes away, sure, I jumped on it. And then do you usually split for the summer? Uh, the past few – I always assumed I would. I thought, God, there's no way I'm going to spend the summers in Las Vegas. But actually the summer climbing is not horrible because you have Mount Charleston. But the other thing is that I've been spending the last few summers in Europe doing conferences and climbing and things like that. But yes, now this summer I returned to the Roaring Fork Valley and I just realized how much I love it here and how amazing it is. So I think in the future I will be spending more and more summers out this way. It's just it's just too incredible. You know, it's hot everywhere to a certain extent in Colorado, but I've always told people that at least rifles very usable in the heat. Yeah, exactly. You know? I mean, every place sucks to some degree in the summer, but rifle sucks a little less. <laughs> yeah, um, it's and, kind of the deal. Yeah. Yeah. So Dan, let's introduce you. So I mean, I kind of leapt to this thing of. You having sort of grown up as a climber here, but I actually realized as I said that that I didn't know your previous background to um, having been in the Valley. Yeah, I actually didn't grow up in Colorado at all. Uh, I grew up in New York, actually, in New Paltz, where uh, the gunks are. And my mom was actually a climber in the gunks when I was growing up, but I didn't really get into it on my own until I moved to Colorado um, and went to Colorado College, where there's a... Uh, a small population of students and a high population of rock climbers. <laughs> and a lot of really good rock climbers that came out of that school. Yeah, kind of not just rock climbers, but like climbers of all types. Yeah, actually. yeah, yeah. Just a very strong climbing history, climbing community there, um, which was really cool and uh, definitely was what started me down my path of, of climbing. I want to say we've had CC alumni on this show before. Oh, definitely. Kate uh, Rutherford. Kate Rutherford yeah. and I are good friends. Mm -hmm. We went to CC together. Has Madeline been on the show? No, she's promised to do it like 150 times. All right, so, Madeline. Yeah. Tigers. All right, so we kind of started talking about what we might talk about in this show. Um, and one of the things that you guys kept talking about when we sort of did our pregame was this idea of, of, of this storied year, this year 2005, about 10 years ago. Kind of, I mean, I, I don't want to jump to say you guys met, but it... it, it oh, yeah, without oh, yeah, that we met. Yeah, yeah I mean, I... I was just starting a sabbatical in 2005, and I was trying to finish up a book that I was working on, and um, 
I trained pretty hard because I was like, I, you know, I was 45, and I was thinking, okay, this is kind of my last hurrah. So <laughs> I want to come to Rifle and have a good season, basically. So I came out here, and I'd been coming to Rifle earlier summers, and I'd always enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. But uh, that just seemed like there was something special about that summer. There were a lot of people coming yeah. into Rifle, and uh, I started climbing there, and I kept bumping into these same kids. And I found out that they were all living in the same house, and they had all just graduated from college. And I started referring to them as the four musketeers because they were in rifle, right, musketeers. And uh, and I kind of got to know them. And despite the fact that they were these young punks who I often can't stand, they kind of endeared themselves to me too at the same time. And Dan was one of them. And uh, – it became a really, really, really fun time. I, I had a good summer. I had a good season climbing. I kind of viewed it as like, okay, this is kind of my last hurrah. I'm getting up there, you know. But I'm a teacher by trade, right? Sure. I mean, that's what I love to do, and that's what I get a lot of satisfaction from. And I could see these kids just kind of starting to develop the love for the place that I've had for a number of years. And just like, okay, you know, I've got these 38 years of experience. You know, let's pass some of this on to these guys. And it was actually, it was actually, it was kind of, it was pretty fun actually, yeah. and it was it was kind of special too. I think. No, it was, it was definitely all time memorable summer. I just graduated from CC. Me and three of my best friends didn't really know what we were doing next, and we'd climbed and rifle a little bit, sort of sporadically through college, and it was like, all right, well, if we're gonna get strong at this, and we're gonna become rock climbers. Let's just go live in rifle, and we didn't really think it out besides that. We just drove to Rifle, found a place to rent. Four of us moved in there and started going out to the canyon. And, I, I mean, at that point, I didn't even really have a concept of what, like, you know, having a season was or, you know, preparing myself for climbing. I just, we just started going out to the canyon, going climbing. And, and uh, Bill was one of the people we ran into. And, and um, definitely, as a, a teacher and instructor, tough love, I'd say, was <laughs> the, the lessons. Can I can I conjecture that like learning to climb through any official channel at CC and and were you involved in in sort of climbing within the college in terms of any sort of programs outdoor programs or anything like that because I can only imagine that it probably was a little more traditional. Yeah, so well there was um a big outdoor recreation club at Colorado College. But sort of then there was also this segment of us who were more into climbing. Okay. And and the outdoor recreation club kind of, you know, they loved climbing as much as they loved paddling and backcountry skiing and hiking and all the rest. And I actually started by, you know, joining that club mm-hmm. when I got to college because right. I had just done a Knowles course and I was all psyched on being an outdoors leader. And then, like, pretty quickly I started going out to Shelf Road with some people who, you know, were already experienced climbers and I was like, okay, actually, this is just what I want to do. And, and all the rest of that's fun and all, but, you know, I kind of want to focus on this. And so we definitely kind of had our own segment, and it wasn't really a, cl- a school-organized thing. But it was just kind of – there was just a great supportive community at CC and a lot of people who knew way more about climbing than I did that I got to learn from and climb with. And before – I don't want to go on without actually mentioning this um, because – when you said you were 45 in 2005 and it was like your last hurrah, a lot of listeners' ears are going to perk up because that's a topic that I hear about a lot. So how well did you do that summer in 2005? And, and I'm asking you to spray, so okay. don't feel so, bad about it. <clears throat> so, well, it changes every year because the rates, the ratings of these routes change. But okay, so that... It wasn't really summer because it went into September. Okay, did, we'll give you that. I did 18... You eight, 13, cheated with good conditions. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I did 813Ds and 314As. And okay, so. folks. Again, I made him say that <laughs> <laughs> because it's possible. That's all I wanted to put out there. So, anyway. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, a, it was a good fun time. So, basically. a lot of people know from listening to the show that this, this uh, winter I went down to Mexico with Hayden Kennedy, and Hayden Kennedy's a good friend of mine and a good friend of the show. And uh, one of the things that was really interesting to me when I, I was, you know, had to sort of talk to Hayden about doing that trip and, and we, you know, it was going to be like a six week trip and a bunch of stuff. First of all, I was excited to just hitch my wagon to this kid who was just so strong and so yeah. good and so fast. 
But I also got sort of concerned, like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm pretty immature, but I am 43, or I was almost 43 at the time. He's fairly mature at times. Sometimes he's terribly <laughs> immature, but... You know, he's, I don't even, I don't even know, 22, 23, whatever. Like, I'm like, okay, six weeks, like, at some point or another, we're going to, like, butt heads over something because of just the crustiness versus the newborn, the smell of the newborn. But in six weeks, we didn't really have it that problem. And, and truthfully, like, I was every day, like, so stoked to be hitched to this kid who was, like, yeah. even overstokered. And it, it, Force my climbing to get better. Yeah, in, in a lot a of doubt. ways. Without and, a doubt. I mean, is that kind of something that you were sort of like? It does. I mean, hang out, that? hang out with these kids. Without a doubt, um, I feel like it keeps me a little bit younger. But it is this kind of strange relationship. I mean, the only thing I've ever seen that, to some degree, captures the relationship I have with a lot of the younger climbers. So we all have watched Breaking Bad. The relationship between Walt and Jesse. Is to to much of a degree similar to the relationship I have with a lot of younger climbers because yeah I think actually you referred to us as a bunch of crack whores yeah well maybe that's true yeah probably but I mean it just seems sort of like there's a sense in which I need them I need to exploit them I need their belays and stuff like that and I kind of developed this grudging appreciation for everything that they have to offer, their youth, their kind of like exuberance, their gumption and all that. But at the same time, I don't know what the fuck they're talking about in terms of these video games and shit like that and the music they listen to. I can't understand. (laughs) And so there develops a relationship quite often where I'm just kind of like, I kind of like this kid, but at the same time, he annoys the shit out of me. And uh, I watched that series, and I just thought, wow, I kind of am like Walt when it comes to a lot of my climbing partners and poor Jesse. Right. And it's sort of like I'm exploiting them. I'm talking them into belaying me when they really shouldn't be. They need to be doing other things and stuff like that. But at the same time, they're kind of like taking advantage of me too. And I think it's just a, it's just a, it's just a very odd dynamic in that <clears> – <throat> I don't know how to put this, but basically they in many ways inspire me. Their energy and, like I say, their gumption is something that I want to relive because I was exactly the same way. And I know I was exactly the same way. And I miss that. You know, as you get older, that is something that you're always trying to recapture because you do, you're in kind of like a constant state of denial that you're getting old. And so surrounding yourself with people like that is exciting and it's fun and deep in the some part of your mind you're thinking yeah i can be that way again but then there's reality which is what the <laughs> fuck are you talking about these rap bands i don't listen to that crap <laughs> you just recognize that have you guys no. heard of jefferson airplane <laughs> yeah anybody come on aerosmith you guys um well so, what's, what's your perspective on it i mean you were coming from the other direction and here's this guy obviously like Super experienced, climbing really, really well. I mean, you know, this vision of a possible future and, you know, at that point, uh, 35, no, 25 years or so. I mean, you guys, what, around 20, 19, 20, 25, 24? 22, probably. Yeah, no, I mean, this is the joke, right? I mean, basically, we went into a store once and this guy said, oh, you guys are kin. Uh, And I say, oh, yeah, like we're brothers. And he's like. No, you're his dad. <laughs> and as we're leaving the store, like Dan turns to me and goes, well, at least he didn't say granddad. <laughs> no, but uh, I mean, you know, from our perspective, you know, I actually, I don't, I don't think I knew who you were. Um, I was you know, pretty new to climbing still at that point. One of my good friends, Mason, had grown up in the South, had been, was probably the most experienced out of the four of us as far as climbing goes. And so I think he, you guys had either met before, he was sort of aware of who, who Bill was as far as, you know, his route development in, in the red and, and sort of what he had done as a climber. And so pretty quickly, I, I just could, you know, I keyed into the fact that, like, oh, here's someone who knows how to really do this as like a grown up. And I'm kind of like ready to not do this as like a drunken college kid anymore. And so I I got to learn a ton from Bill that summer, you know, just in conversations we had or 
playing him for two hours on Zulu <laughs> or <laughs> just watching the way he'd approach rock climbing. Uh-huh. And I, you know, there was just a ton of knowledge that he transferred to me through those, you know, ways that I've definitely put into my skill set and my, you know, bag of tools for the way I approach rock climbing. And Bill, like, you're a sport climber. Do you have a background in sort of big oh, roots Jesus. around the world? I mean, it's like, so I, I grew up in Central Oregon, and my dad was one of the first climbers at Smith. He wrote one of the first guides to Smith with his brother. And um, so, I mean, my background is <clears throat> my dad's climbing partner was a guy named Jack Watts, and he had a son, same day, same hospital, named Alan Watts. And so we grew up. We were best friends. And Alan got me into climbing at about the age of 16 or something, like 1976. And so um, having that, you know, once I started climbing at Smith with Alan, uh, and I left Smith in 1982 to go to graduate school because I thought, okay, Smith is all climbed out. All the cracks are done. It has no future. It's so sad that Alan's in love with this place and he won't leave because it's just a little backwater that no one will ever hear about. That's the wrongest I've ever been about anything, I think. So I then went to graduate school and kind of got out of climbing for a while to finish up my Ph.D. and, and to get tenure and all that good stuff. And But I really, really missed it. And so I started getting back into it probably around 93, 94, about the time the red started coming into existence. And at that time, my goal was to, you know, f- maybe one day climb a 513. So um, it's been – I've had kind of two complete different careers this uh two different trajectories basically um but what was the question well i w- i just had asked <laughs> that if you were you were primarily a sport climber you know i i started out <laughs> trad climbing and that's all that was offered at that time sure yeah and uh, which is interesting because i mean you're talking about alan watts who who was this guy who basically ushered sport climbing yeah. into the united states right you know, right. I was to, with Alan much when he, like protest i was with alan when he placed his first bolt at right. smith um but uh, I can't say I was part of that development because sure. I had left and I thought, mm-hmm. nope, this is done. Smith is done. Um, I'm going to go climb cracks in Southern California where I'm going to grad school. And that's what I did for a number of years. And then this whole sport just changed and went in this different direction. So it was actually – it made it more inviting to come back. I, th- I think trad climbing is a little bit harder. I think it's a little bit more demanding in some ways. And so this idea of going and just clipping bolts and climbing these waves of rock and not worrying about dying and shit like that, I mean, I thought, oh, yeah, that actually does seem really attractive. I want to really get back into it. Plus, I think in the early 90s, I, I just found myself really missing the culture, missing the people. And um, I think I was really lucky that at that time – for me, what was going to be the local climbing area was this place called the Red River Gorge that was just then coming into its own and being developed with its own set of characters and a, its own set of attitudes. And it was actually, it you know, I wrote the forward to the guide, and I, basically it's true. I, I went down there once and a month, and I'd go down there then twice a month, and then I found myself going down there every weekend because it was just such an awesome place to climb and such an awesome place to hang out, and it just sucked me completely back into rock climbing. So this is a little bit of an aside. So you're eventually working at uh, Notre Dame mm-hmm. and climbing as much as you possibly can in the red. Yep. So, I mean, without, like, we could probably talk about this for an hour, but what was it like to be, you know, this guy in this very hardcore academic scene and, you know, sort of having this other life where you were going down and hanging out with what are relatively, like, rowdy, crazy people. Because I can only imagine, especially yeah. in the beginning of the Red, just, like, some serious rowdy characters down there. I think I – think, Was it like a double life? I, I mean, think it is a double life. And I think, frankly, a lot of climbers live a double life because, frankly, I think a lot of top-end climbers are intellectuals. They're academics. It's a cerebral sport. And when, you know, I was at the cliff the other day and I looked around to my left and right, there's a doctor, there's a physicist, there's a lawyer. All these people had advanced degrees. And I think that's something that separates climbing from a lot of other quote-unquote extreme sports is that the people that engage in it are people that have uniquely analytic minds. They enjoy problem solving. I can't tell you how many climbers I've met that are mathematicians and physicists. You have to really enjoy that process to put your body through that much suffering and pain 
And so, yes, I was living a double, complete double life, double existence. And I think that's actually the norm for a lot of really top climbers. I think a lot of the people that develop rifle, you look at them, Steve Hong, you know, he's a doctor. Um, a lot of the people are mathematicians, they're college professors. Uh, that's, I think, kind of the way a lot of us climbers live. We live a double life. Going back to our original idea of this 2005 thing, this this sort of nexus where you guys met, and the reason I asked you about sport climbing and climbing hard is because you know it was sort of a uniquely, uh, or it was sort of a unique way of kind of crossing this sort of mentorship line. When I I've talked about mentorship on the show a bunch, you know, uh, talked about how you know the system of mentorship is sort of broken down a little bit. Um, Maybe there's too many climbers coming out of the gym to sort of handle, like, getting everybody up to speed. But usually when people think about that, they think about, like, somebody who, you know, gets you out there and teaches you how to build anchors and teaches you how to place gear properly and, like, you know, do a dole for sits rappel or whatever. You know, well, what if you drop your blade of ice? Well, here, I'll show you how to do this, like, bullshit yeah. uh, beaner break or whatever. So here we have this kind of, like, completely different type of mentorship. So when you guys talk about learning or you teaching and, and, and Dan, you learning from, from Bill and I'll let whichever one of you guys start, what do you think that looked like? Like, what do you think, Dan, that you, you kind of felt as though he was sort of imparting to you, whether it was on purpose or whether it was just by watching him do his thing? Uh, I think, uh, I mean, sort of simply put, I think what Bill was showing us, and I don't think he was shy in saying it, was uh, how to not be retarded. <laughs> and, oh, and, and that, I mean, you know, that sounds like silly and trite and just like... It was 2005. That was, yeah. uh, that was the hour yeah. where it was okay back yeah. then. Yeah. And, but that really means a lot more in sort of the world of sport climbing. So it's like uh, how you're approaching your project, you know? Okay, so you have this section that's the crux for you. So instead of just climbing up there, falling off, pulling back on right where you fell, and then seeing if you can, you know, do those moves then, realizing that, like, oh, okay, yeah, you know, the issue is that I've, I'm tired by the time I get here. So, you know, maybe I need to start three bolts below the, the spot where I fell and then work on climbing that to the, you know, through that crux there. Or, you know, so sort of like the idea of just the way you work a route, the way you, you know, refine your beta, the way you just the whole game of approaching it instead of just every time tying in and just sort of blindly trying as hard as you can. Well, see, this is interesting to me, and I apologize for interrupting, but, like, I still struggle with this because I have such this background in in traditional climbing and, you know, this, like, one foot in one world and one foot in another that, like, a lot of times I really struggle with this idea of, like, really working a route in, in kind of the proper way even after it's been demonstrated to my me by other people as well as in my own performance like to to come back to this idea is is interesting to me so this this whole podcast is probably going to be super helpful yeah well so. no, i was like i mean with a lot of kids a lot of the younger people like dan and a lot of these other people fuck they're so much stronger than me they have so much more just raw strength and talent than i have so the idea of me teaching them something is kind of quasi-comical. I mean, it's like they're, they're, they're going to outperform me by a long shot. And that's certainly true when you look at it, it's sort of the top-level climbers, uh, Ashima and all these people, and Andra. They're just – they're functioning at a level that I can't even comprehend. So insofar as I'm supposed to play this kind of role that I like, this th- that I get something out of, teaching role, what can I offer – and it's always going to be, <clears throat> I think, a lot of these psychological games about, you know, what's it like to kind of really push yourself to your limit. And, you know, I'm not that strong a climber and I'm not that good a climber, but I feel like the one thing I kind of know something about is is how to, how to tough it out, like how to really um, put in a lot of time and deal with failure and deal with the psychological battles that are involved in a big project that takes you a lot of effort. I feel like I do have some experience in that way, and that's what I kind of try to impart to these people. So, um, yeah, I, I enjoy that. I mean, it's like I have a friend right now in Rifle who's trying a climb that she's been trying for the last, I think, three summers maybe. And um, I guarantee you if I can help her get up that thing, that will be more gratifying than anything I climbed this summer in Rifle. I will enjoy that much more. 
because you know it's like there's a there's, if you're a natural teacher if you love to teach if you enjoy imparting knowledge then I'm like okay I've got all this background what can I pass on to somebody who's so much better at this sport than I am maybe it's something to do with the head game maybe it has something to do with the psychological battles that are involved in projecting a hard route Dan just did a super hard route at Cathedral that took him a lot of effort took him a lot of work and for me that's that I find that inspiring I find it when somebody guts it out and they keep getting up off the mat after repeated failures. That to me tells me about. I mean, it tells me about him as a climber, but it tells me a lot about him as a person, and that's really important. I mean, you know, finding out that uh, Adam Andra can on-site 14D that that means nothing to me. That's like finding out that somebody's acquired the ability to levitate. You know, it's, <laughs> it's like fuck. I, that's interesting. You hadn't heard. I, it's I actually fascinating. Did last week, but it's yes. like I am not inspired by that. But finding out that. Someone like Sharma or Tommy, those guys have toughed it out. They, that's one thing that I find really inspiring and, and awesome about those guys. They know how to grind it out and keep picking themselves up off the mat and coming back to it after repeated failures and eventually succeeding. That I can relate to. Well, when you were talking about that, there was like all these phrases about toughing it out and like – these mental games that I so often hear with, you know, associated with big root climbing, you know, we think of suffering. You, generally speaking, I think the, the sort of climbing public doesn't think of going to rifle, you know, you can blow out your car or whatever as suffering per se. But but in this kind of micro level, it's it's suffering on this, like you said, a really mental level. Yeah. And, you know, you again, Dan, we're at sort of this crossroads you know, you you divorced yourself from some of these other activities that you'd learned at, at CC and the outdoor club, decided that climbing was your thing, you know, and you're 22, 23. I was 22 as well, you know, thinking about like, where does my climbing go? At the time, I was thinking I would be a mountaineer. I mean, that was my focus back then, or, or I thought that that would be somewhere I would go with it. Didn't happen, thank God. But, you know, when you were there and and being introduced to this world of hard climbing, like what for you, I mean, I just heard all the things that appeal to Bill about this, this thing, you know, this, this, this like grinding it out on, you know, a hundred feet of rock day after day after day. Like, what do you think draw, drew you to it? I mean, it, you could have gone out into Yosemite and started climbing big walls yeah, just yeah. as easily. Like I know a lot of people from CC have, yeah. you know, that they, they've put out like Kate, who's, who's a big root climber you know, a big root traditional climber. So what made you choose that crossroad versus another, do you think? You know, that's an interesting question. I guess it's just always kind of, even when I just started climbing, it was what appealed to me was uh, pushing myself physically, seeing how hard, you know, I could climb and and what ways, what different ways I could improve myself as a rock climber. And, you know, like with anyone, initially when you start, um, you know, the improvements come in big leaps and bounds, you like learn how to do things technically, you know, back step and drop knee. And all of a sudden you can climb a grade harder. And then that, that progress gets more, you know, in smaller and smaller until it's, you know, tiny little bits of progress. But that achieving that progress was always what was, um, attractive to me and what, what drove me to try to, you know, achieve the next level. So, uh, at a certain point, to do that, it was it started requiring a lot of failing, and so I guess uh, it just in in a similar way to what Bill's saying, it's it's captivating to me to, to 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 grind it out, to challenge myself, and to try to improve myself just little by little by little. Uh, whether that's getting stronger, or getting technically more proficient, or learning how to better approach climbing I mean, a hard route. I mean, you hear a lot of people say things like. Well, if I tried that many times, I could get up that route too. But that's the rub, right? You you can't try that many times. You're not capable of trying that many times. I mean, that, that that that's I think the unique skill that some people have or the unique ability that some people have is to be to keep coming back after repeated failures to say, "Well, I'm not giving up. This is really beating me down, but I'm going to keep trying." And um, eventually try to get up this thing. I, I think that all the major progressions we've seen in this sport have involved people doing something like that, where they have said, 
Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm expected to you know get up something in two weeks or three weeks or four weeks, but they they come back and spend seasons on something that's a real challenge, and I think that uh, that's something that that is is special, and I think it's unique to climbing. I, there, I don't, I, I can't think of very many other sports that involve. I don't, I am yeah, repeated failure like that. I mean, maybe I don't know how many times you try to do a trick in skateboarding or something like that. You try a lot, but you know you're eventually maybe going to get there. But in climbing, you have to maintain a kind of psychology and a kind of mindset where you're really psyched and you're really motivated and you're going to try just as hard your next time, even though you know it's probably going to end up in failure. And then you got to come back the next day and see if you can just get a little bit higher. And every single time you're trying to figure out a little bit more nuance, a little bit of subtlety that'll make the difference, that'll get you a few inches higher. And um, I just have an enormous amount of respect for the climbers. And I, I think it happens at every level, the beginning level, the middle level, and even the very, very top climbers, I think they all go through that. And I have respect for people who have that ability to, as I say, just kind of keep picking themselves up off the mat and coming back and trying again because that's how real progress happens and that's how you really test yourself. That's how you really find something else about yourself. I mean, you find out maybe you're good enough to do this climb, but you also find out that you're made of something that's capable of going through that kind of process. It's not, you know, they always say it's the process, not the end result. To some degree, I think that's bullshit, but to some degree, I think there's some truth to that. No, definitely. I mean, there's there's like phases in projecting a hard route. I mean, you know, for some, and it's not I'm not saying this is like what climbing is and it's the end all and be all for everyone, but for some of us, like finding something that you think you could maybe do, but you're not necessarily, right. necessarily There's sure. There's a real chance of putting in a lot of time and energy and failing. Is exciting, right? I right. mean, it's like, you know, Without not like, oh, this could just be horrible. I could spend three years and never do it. Like, that's like, oh, sweet. I found exactly what I'm looking for. Yeah. And now, like, let's get down to it. Yeah. You know, I'll just say it. I think there's a lot of nobility in the people that I see who who are like, I don't think I'm – I'm not sure if I can do this, but I'm going to really give it everything I have and see what happens. I'm going to give it everything I have. It may take season after season after season, but I want to find my absolute limit. And I may wind up failing. It may be a total waste of time, but I'm going to just try that. Well, you know, I'm glad you said that because one of the things you said earlier about – you said you had – sort of taking time away from climbing for various reasons, and then suddenly you just wanted to be sort of back in the scene and back with those people. And I was going to ask you, you know, what was it about that scene versus, I don't know, you could have taken up golf or, right. you know, no. anything else. Like, I always harp on golf on this show. I really like golf, <laughs> Poor golfers. Okay, sorry, golfers. Thank God it's not fly anyway. fishing. But, uh, yeah, right. But, I mean, I was going to ask you, and, and maybe you can elaborate on that, but, like, what what – what is it about the for you guys, both of you? You know, listen. I mean, just take a typical weekend you'll have, like in, in the spring. You'll go down to Moab, you'll go to Indian Creek, and you will jam your hands and fingers into a crack to try to get up something. You will crush your fingers into the crack. There'll be blood coming out to see if you can get to the top of something. That <laughs> is not wait. a typical. Wait, that is not a typical athlete. That is right. not your normal athlete. That's a kind of unique individual. And I think climbing at the upper levels especially, it's made up of unique individuals, people who who are just different. We're just wired differently. And I feel like, you know, we're the kind of the island of misfit athletes and to some degree. I mean, it's like I I I I I identify with people like that. I love that process of pushing myself and hurting myself to some degree to try to figure out what my limits are. And when I see fellow kindred spirits going through the same thing, that is awesome. That is just like, wow, that is that is great. That's yeah, like seeking out the situation that's gonna make that's gonna lead you to fail the most is the is the ideal situation, which sounds so ridiculous when you say it, yeah. but it's totally you know, what certain because, people are looking because for. that is that is we're we're interested in really testing ourselves. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, Andrew and I made a joke on a show a long t- time ago, Andrew Bishret, that you know we were we were really sad for for Chris Sharma because he you know he had to fail so so much, you know when when he was in the middle of of doing uh, the 
realization thing. Dura Dura. No, the Dura Dura. Dura, Dura like, yeah. you know, it was or just, all of them. I mean, Chris yeah. has been through this more than once. Right. It's just years of failure. And it's like, oh, it's so sad that he's so good that he can only find these like heinous roots that he can't do. While the rest of us like, oh, we can just go and find, you know, find challenge in like a 512A or whatever. Well, the rest of us being me. Not, <laughs> but the thing is, is, that, is that what Chris is going through, we all can go through. Because what Chris is trying to do is find his absolute limit. He is like testing himself and pushing himself as hard as he can push himself. And he's, he's, just, he's, he's constantly seeking routes where it's like, I'm going to devote a tremendous amount of energy and effort to this. And there's a real chance I could fail. It could be all for nothing. And we can all do that. We can all sort of like try to do that and push ourselves in that way. And I think a lot of us do. And when I see people doing that, I, I'm just like, yeah, right on, brother, you know, or sister. We're all, we're all there. And it's, it's strange for me because, you know, again, I sort of feel like I've always had – well, not always, but, but in the last few years that, that I've started to sport climb in a more serious way, like these, these feet in different worlds. I was a big wall climber. Um, I've gone around the world to do to do big routes in sort of faraway places. And it's interesting to me because, you know, when you fail, let's say you go to Baffin Island, some big expedition, and you fail, it's really clear. Like, you didn't get up. You had to come down. You know, epics ensued, and you came home with your tails tucked between your legs. And and it it's, I don't know, it's like kind of almost like so obvious that, it feels kind of, I mean, you said earlier that climbing is wimpy and, and, and in a way, like all of our, the other ways in our lives, you know, failure can be so subtle, you know, mm-hmm. it can be like, you just didn't quite achieve that thing you wanted to do at work or your relationship isn't quite what you want it to be, or, you know, you got broken up with, or you broke up because of these sort of amorphous reasons. And I mean, sport climbing, in my mind, sort of fits into that in that, like, the failure is, in a lot of ways, like, kind of creeping and way more subtle, you know, than than you might be presented with, like, I didn't get to the top of the mountain, so to speak. I had to come down. That's a total failure. But what's going on in a rifle today? Well, I fell at the fifth bolt, and I was really tired when I got there. And it's almost like this bigger mental challenge to be presented with this thing over and over again, day after day of like, you failed again, you failed again, you failed again, you failed I mean, again. At least life- you can, you know, get on the plane home from Patagonia and <laughs> yeah. be like, I'm done with this shit. Like, I didn't make it. I'm done. It's a and different game. Your life, it's you know? a different game to some extent. But I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, there's lots of ways in, in where life is constantly challenging you in lots of different ways. And... um the, you know, the question is, how do you respond? That's the issue. That's the difference that makes, you know, people that are successful and people that aren't. Can you respond in a way where you're not going to get down on yourself? You're just going to like, okay, what did I do wrong? What right. mistakes did I make? How can I correct this? How can I move on from here and make something positive out of this failure? Or are you going to be like, fuck, I suck. Right. And I'm can still sucking. Uh, so you, you, you do it. In a different way in, in Patagonia or whatever. But at the same time, you come back and, like, that expedition failed. What did we do wrong? Right. How do we make a mistake? How can I improve the next time? This is my last expedition, so what am I going to do to make the next one a success? It's the same process yeah. to some you degree. You just do it on a, a certain much smaller level. You know, you how could I do this section better? And then you look at each failure as, well, where's the small victory within that failure? That yeah. I, you know, we'll learn one thing to improve something along the way. Then, okay, then I didn't fail. I had a, a small victory. And then that keeps you going a little bit. All right, well, let's talk about you guys now. I mean, it's almost 10 years later from this magical summer, uh, 2005, and you guys are climbing together again a bunch in Rifle. Not today because it was, like, r- rainy and, and oddly for Colorado, it was like a 92% humidity yeah. today. Which it's like is, the southeast. Yeah, exactly, yeah. which is, I mean, we don't get out of bed for that shit at all. No. <laughs> but uh, so, I mean, you guys can talk about this individually, you know, what's evolved in your climbing in the last 10 years. You know, Bill, you're older. You, you said Weaker, that was... sadder. <laughs> that was, you know, pathetic. you had in your mind, like, this is going to be it. This is it. I'm, I'm, I got one foot in the grave at 45. Well, that was nine years ago. Yeah. 
Dan, you've actually come a long way even from that summer, whatever you had achieved that summer. So can you guys talk about your personal climbing, but also, you know, your relationship, the way it's evolved in terms of, of your friendship and, and whether that, you know, I kind of personally perceive that the gap between you guys has closed. You jokingly say you're getting weaker, Dan's getting stronger, you're sort of meeting somewhere in the middle. No, we met in the middle like <laughs> 10 years ago, basically. I mean, no, Dan is climbing at such a higher level right now, it's it's ridiculous. You just did the hardest climb in rifle, right? Or one yeah, of the hardest one climbs. Of the hardest climb in rifle, yeah. probably still the crew. Yeah, okay. Despite all the new ones. But he's, he's up, crushing but anyway. everything, all the yeah. mid-range 514s. Whereas sure. I'm just kind of trying to get up. I think you just told me the other night that I actually needed to go do a really actual hard rock climb, not all these fluffy <laughs> ones that I was doing. <laughs> well, they all involve all these knee bars. <laughs> so that part, uh, of your, yeah. that part of your relationship hasn't yeah. changed. No, not no. at all. Yeah. <laughs> me being an asshole still stays the same. Yes. <laughs> well, for me, definitely uh, our sort of relationship came full circle. I was just saying this earlier in a really nice way where uh, I, I was lucky enough to have Bill blame me when I sent Lungfish, which was – uh, not necessarily the hardest route and rifle, but one that was really hard for me and was, you know, sort of just exactly what we've been talking about, uh, a project that I'd beaten my head against the wall over the course of a couple of years. I mean, I tried it in, first in 2011 or something like that, and, and I'd go away from it and come back to it and go away from it and come back to it and uh, came back from climbing in the red this spring and was, was just feeling strong and fit and we had a really great June as far as the weather here in Colorado. The wind machine was just cranking, and the temperature in the canyon was pretty nice. And so I decided to try to see if I could get down to business and take that one down. And was getting pretty darn close and uh, was out there and didn't really have a climb partner and met up with Bill. And we climbed together, and I tried it a couple times and got really close and was like, oh, man, cool, I'm psyched. I'm going to you know leave it, leave it till the next day, and I think on my next fresh go I really got this thing. And then just like it was 10 years ago, Bill was like, no, you're going to not be retarded. You're going to rest for 45 minutes. You're going to wash your hands with this bottle of water that I have here. You're going to take my liquid chalk. You're going to apply it to your hands. You're going to tie back in, and you're going to do this rock climb right now. And I totally um, let go of my sort of self-motivation, self-perpetuation of my own climbing, which is a, a lot of time I, I could have project things on my own. You know, so I'm motivating myself, keep myself going. And I was just like, all right, this is what coach says I got to do. So I'm just going to do it. And I just listened up and took my rest and washed my hands off and put on the lick jock. And, and then and I, and I sent. And it was like this really cool moment for me because I just have, you know, learned a lot from Bill. And I still just kind of took a moment to let someone tell me what to do instead of thinking that I know everything about sport climbing now. And, uh, yeah, so that was, that was for me a good, uh, Full circle. It was a good moment, moment for me too. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, it's just sort of like I, I could watch Dan on an earlier burn, and he's obviously climbing at a phenomenal level. The strength and the quality of his climbing, the, the technique he's using, is so much better than it was ten years ago. I'm just like, holy crap, this kid knows how to climb hard. But you know, uh, the teacher in me can't keep quiet, so I thought, damn, he is freaking close. You never know what's going on, so I am going to grind on him and uh, try to get him back up this thing because I think he can do it right now. Put it, put it down, and he did, and it was awesome. It was really great. It was really fun seeing him do that. About two years ago, I did a for me a hard climb, not for a lot of people, but a eight C fourteen B, and I kind of told myself. I am done with this project. It's still a hard climb. Oh, okay. And the so one you know. he, the one in America, not, at least. In the world, yeah. The one he's not naming is The Root of All Evil, which is really hard. Okay. Yeah, no, but it was, it was this other thing called Reverse Polarity at Podis. Oh, sorry. But uh, I, uh, I'm like, fuck, I'm done with this. It's like, okay, this took way too much out of me. The only kind of real strength I have is this tenacity, and it just totally drained me. So I'm just going to have fun. I'm just going to enjoy life. And uh, some friends and told me to go up to Cathedral, and they were like, "Hey, you know Dan Mursky's up there, and he's working on this variation of this thing called Golden. You should you should watch him on it because it's actually a pretty cool route." And I'm like, "Yeah, whatever. It's over my head. It's 14B. I'm not going to get on that thing." And then I watch Dan, and I'm like, "Wow, watching you move through that stuff, that middle section, I'm just like." Okay, maybe I'll just go up and like feel a couple of the holes. I'll just check it out a little bit. I'll just kind of see what's up there. And I went up there, and I was just like, holy crap, this is a really beautiful climb. 
So I got sucked back into projecting, and um, oh, nice! I like that. You definitely did that. They pull you back in, in. exactly. (laughs) So I uh, worked on it uh, really hard last spring. Came really close, and I am still completely psyched on it. And I'm going to go back and go hard on it in the fall. But this summer for me is non-project mode. Supposedly, I'm just kind of wanted to have fun, do a bunch of mid-range 513s, hang out with the the teenage neighbors, hang out with the teenage neighbors, hang out with Jesse's friends. Yep, exactly. Learn a little bit about how to make uh, crystal meth, and uh, and do a lot of fly fishing, which I've been doing. So yeah, it's been a really fun summer. And so, but I'm going to go back into full training, hard grind mode uh, in about three weeks here. And we'll see what happens this fall. So, real quick, I mean, when you said that that you know you were done with projecting and then you got pulled back in, or and now you're in fun mode, but you've got this. I mean, do you think you can give it up? I mean, it, it That's sounds a really I mean, interesting. The way, question. The, the way, and, I, and you're not the first yeah. person to talk about this like this, but and we've talked about it on the show. This kind of like. You know, and we, and we've been using the 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 Breaking Bad metaphor through the whole show, like right. this weird addiction thing. That no, you're right. It's sort of a positive addiction, but it still has all these like people just talk about it in these terms that are real similar. You were like, absolutely uh, right. Yeah, I wish I could. I wish I didn't have to go do this route, but I got to. You know, it's like. Yeah, no, I know. About, I mean, uh, people having this, you know, work ethic so far in sort of the this segment of rock climbers who, but there's also an addiction component to it too. You get a, addicted to projecting and addicted to your route that you're on. Look, it's kind of a depressing moment when you say, "I'm going to quit trying hard. I'm going to really quit trying to find out what my limit is." That's a sad moment, and I think I went through it for a minute, and I'm like. Okay, um, maybe I'm not done there. Well, what does the future look like at that point? I mean, it you know what I mean? Like, like, <laughs> I know it's grim. It's like this horrible <laughs> trap. It's like, so I think that those of us who are older, and there, are, you know, there are a lot of really people, good people, climbing really hard. Older, I, I think we're all struggling with that question. We're all like trying to like figure out what's the future like. Are we really just going to be content doing five elevens? Or five twelve A's or whatever. I mean, are we really just going to be content, not trying to push ourselves and and figure out what it is that we can are now capable of? I, I don't know. I don't know how to deal with that. I don't know how to answer that question. Off widths. <laughs> no shit. Because five ten off widths are the hardest thing on the planet. Okay. Anyway, sorry. You know that you're absolutely right, <laughs> dude. I mean, I, back into my mind, I'm like thinking I really should try to free climb El Cap, and then I'm like, no, off widths. Right. There are off widths. That's death and destruction. Yeah. That's the hardest thing human beings can do or off with. <laughs> All right, you guys. Thanks a lot for coming on the show. I mean, you know, just sharing your personal sort of journey. I love the I love the fact that you this spring watched Dan on a route and uh and suddenly he inspired you to try harder just yep. the way you were ten years ago. So it is sort of a storied relationship yep. that uh that's pretty impressive and um I mean you Kin know folk. Yeah, kinfolk. There you go. <laughs> Not the granddad, though. <laughs> Our great granddad. But anyway, I think we'll leave it at that. And uh, I want to thank you guys for coming into the mobile studio and and sharing your story. And um, I think enlightening me and hopefully some listeners about you know just like you said the nobility of trying hard and of, of hitting the mat and getting up and 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 going back at it again. Right. So. Right. Well, thanks for having us. Super fun. Yeah, it's a great time. Thank you, Chris. You going the egg? I'm the ground man for that climb. Isn't that enough to singe your ass? I'm gonna nursemaid you again after all of these years. You nursemaid me? I not only could outclimb you on your best day, I can outdrink you right now. Well, you just enjoy that one, because you're off of the sauce until you're in shape for the climb. Meanwhile, I'll have another.
I feel shame for wanting to be more than I am. The sage says, that which shrinks must first expand. That which fails must first be strong. That which is cast down must first be raised.